Good morning. Uh, what incredible servants we have here. I so appreciate our musicians, how they lead us to the throne of God. Good morning, God. And how uh, they help us to worship. Uh, I love the ushers. I love that right now, you may not know it, but there's a medical response team member ready to help that we hope we never have to use, but isn't that great? We have security team who are checking out our building and making sure everything's right. I'm just so grateful. That's, that's in addition to kids' zone workers and all the people that are gonna participate in music and second service, all of our adult Sunday school teachers. Also, there's a group of absolutely exhausted refuge sponsors in church as we speak. <laughs> um, and they are doing a fantastic job with our students. Um, Pastor Brian is not here today. Uh, he is at NYC in Tampa Bay with our students, and he wanted me to pass along to you guys. Uh, part of NYC was a mission project. And so our students went out on the causeway of Florida, um, and they picked up trash for multiple hours, 100 degrees, 98% Florida humidity. And he said not one kid uh, complained, not one kid made an excuse, they worked so hard, and he said he knew you guys would be so proud. Now, I don't know about the sponsors, he didn't tell me about them, but <laughs> the kids are killing it out there, so um, please be in prayer for them. Please, especially if you're an NYC family, ready yourself, because when they get home, some exciting things have happened for them, and they also are going to be exhausted, so try and <laughs> pace yourself in finding out all that the Lord has done and is doing in their life. Um, so, uh, when Pastor and I, uh, Pastor Brian and I discussed me teaching today, uh, I texted him and I said, hey, Pastor Brian, is there something specific that you would like for me to teach on July 9th? And he said, you should preach from the Old Testament. And I said, okay, something specific. And he said, you should do a sermon uh, about women. And I said, okay, someone specific. And he said, how about Shifra and Puah? And I said, how about you quit making stuff up? <laughs> but Shifra and Puah are real people, and their story paves the way for the Israelites to gain their freedom from the Egyptians. So let's get to it. You have sermon notes in your bulletin if you're interested. If you're online with us today, those sermon notes are also available to you on our website and on PFN Connect. Connect app, and we hope that you'll take advantage of that. Um, we're going to go into the Old Testament, first half of your Bible, so dust it off a little bit if you haven't been there for a while, all right? Uh, the first half is full of prophecies about the coming Messiah and records this beautiful love story that God has for his people. Um, Shifra and Pua are part of that story. The mission of the church doesn't begin just at the Great Commission. It begins well before in the Old Testament. Um, so here we see God concerned about things like physical injustice as well as spiritual deliverance. We need to be people who care about what God cares about. And Exodus gives us a model of redemption as well as a model of a mission. So we're going to read today from Exodus chapter 1. Um, Exodus is the second book in your Bible, okay? It's also the second book of the Jewish Torah or the Pentateuch, which would have been the first five books of the Old Testament. Most historians would tell us that Moses wrote all five of those books. And did you know that most of the Jewish community, especially the men, would have had almost all five of those books completely memorized? It's incredible. 
Um, I am not a Jewish man, so I will be reading from <laughs> my Bible this morning. Um, also, uh, I want to bring some clarity to some words that are used interchangeably to identify the exact same people group. So we have the Israelites, all right? The, we'll talk about that today in Exodus chapter 1. The Israelites, it's, it describes the location that they came from. That's one of your blanks there. So they originally came from Israel, but also, as God does several times in Scripture, he renames a guy named Jacob. He gives him a new name, Israel. So it also describes the people group that they came from. Then we have the word Hebrew. So these folks came from a place called Hebron in Israel. And it's also the language that they spoke. All right, So they were Semites. They spoke Hebrew. And then we have Jew, which is the religion that they practiced. So many times the word Israelites, Hebrews, Jews are all used interchangeably to describe the exact same people group. So sometimes I get confused about that. I thought somebody else might too. So I just wanted to bring clarity to that. So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 1. It's the big one. At verse 1, little one. Okay, in the sentences. In my Bible it says, the Israelites oppressed. Uh, another version I read said the Israelites in Egypt. So remember, scripture was originally passed down as stories from generation to generation within their villages. It would have been passed down orally. Sometimes a village would have been lucky enough to have it in writing, but most of the time they just spoke these stories. So lots of times there's subtitles like that because it kind of tells you what's going to happen in that chapter. Um, at the beginning of this story, in the original Hebrew, there was a Hebrew word that's, that basically means and. So I don't find it in my Bible, in the NIV version or the NLT that I studied, but other versions, it will say and, because Exodus is just a continuation of Genesis, okay? So Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, and these are the names of the son of Israel, that is Jacob, remember he got the new name, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family. <clears throat> so this is where the 12 tribes of Israel come out. Okay, so let's see. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. So there's the 12 tribes of Israel that a whole lot of the Old Testament is about. In time, I'm at verse 6. In time... Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children, many grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that the land became, that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. So I'm going to pause at different times in between the scripture. So here's a pause. In actuality, the Israelites increased from 70 people to 600,000 men plus women and children over the 400 years that they lived in Egypt. God's promised blessings of fruitfulness and increase had been given to Adam and Abraham, given to Isaac and Jacob, and now Joseph. However, let's look at these first seven verses again. Within these first seven verses, there's no explicit reference to any activity of God. There are four centuries over which scripture passes in silence. No individual identity, no name is named for 400 years. The Hebrew culture has been swallowed up into the Egyptian culture. 
A failure is marked here. The grandchildren of Jacob have lost their distinctiveness, their names, their sense of purpose. All signs of life are gone. Now, when we were just singing, I sought the Lord, he heard and he answered, I trust in God, my Savior, he will never fail. I believe that, but can you imagine living in those four centuries of silence? Nobody raising up. So I just wondered as we were singing that this morning, somebody here, somebody watching today might be thinking, boy, God's awful silent in my life right now. I'm praying, I trust him, I believe that. I think he is hearing me, but ain't nothing happening. (laughs) Is he still here? Does he still love me? Will he fail me? Let's keep listening to what happened today. One might ask, why are the Israelites in Egypt? Why are they even there? So here's two reasons. First, Joseph, which was one of Jacob's son, was taken to Egypt because his jealous brothers sold him into slavery. He gained favor with the king, ended up helping to save lives by stockpiling food. I know that sounds like a Lifetime Movie Network movie, but it is actually a story in scripture. During the famine of that time, everybody came to Egypt because they were the only ones who had food. And number two, during that famine, Joseph's actual family went to Egypt to buy food When they saw each other and they reconnected and all that, Joseph's family ended up moving there and they resettled in the Nile Delta. So they were right next to the the river, like so many others were. Verse 8, eventually a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. So we've got this brand new king of Egypt, knows nothing about anything about Joseph, but we also have all these descendants Yep, yep, I'm Joseph's great, 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 great grandkid. Yep, yep, but they don't really know anything about Joseph either anymore, okay? You think about your family. Do you know the people in your family from 400 years ago? Like really well, you know their story great, okay? So that's kind of how they were. Verse nine, the king said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, They will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So let's stop here. There's so many things to talk about. Okay, so this is a perfect example in my mind of racism. Like indigenous populations in countries today who are suspicious of growing minorities in their cities, the Egyptians began to fret over the presence of ever-increasing Israelites. They reacted in fear and self-preservation. Doesn't look too different than our world today, does it? To prevent both their escape and the possibility of them joining the enemy in times of war, the king has the Israelites perform excruciatingly difficult labor. The intent is to demoralize them, to impress on them their role of servitude, and to diminish as much as possible any likelihood of an insurrection. The Israelites were important to the Egyptians for economic reasons as well, because they equaled a free labor force. Resiliency, however, not capitulation is the result. Because the Egyptians had forgotten about Joseph and all he had done for their nation, they saw his descendants as the enemy. From Joseph's time to where we are reading, everything was reversed or obliterated completely. The Israelites were in their very first exile. Let's pick up at verse 11. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. 
they appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. The sheer number of man hours needed for the massive engineering and construction projects underway in the ancient world made the use of forced labor pretty common. At times, it was even used as a form of taxation. I thought this was interesting. For instance, the common people might work one month for free for the government and taxes paid. Check. I didn't know that was a thing, but it was a thing. When the government projects proved way too ambitious to staff with native people or even prisoners of war and too expensive to hire laborers, vulnerable people groups would be targeted for forced labor. And this forced labor made the Israelites' lives really hard. They made millions of bricks by hand to create the cities of Pithon and Ramesses, and there's pictures of those going to be up here. Brick after brick after brick made by hand so that they could create these incredible structures. They would pump water, the Israelites would pump water by hand from the Nile to irrigate all the fields. Eventually all this hard labor is remembered in the Jewish Passover meal by eating the bitter herbs. That's what connects us back to this time in their lives. And many of us got to experience that when we had the Seder meal together, uh, Holy Week leading up to Easter. In Psalm 146, I think that this is a kind of a remembrance. It says, he gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoner. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects the foreigner among us. He cares for the orphans and widows, but he frustrates the plans of the wicked. I think that's kind of a harken back to this time. Verse 15 says, then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So again, let's pause. Um, I get a little confused by the pharaohs, okay? So Pharaoh in Egyptian means great house. And every king of the Egyptians ever, they were called Pharaoh. So it it would be like saying pastor instead of Pastor Brian. Pastor Brian is specific to our grand poobah. If you just say pastor, that's like a royal title, right? He's going to love that. I hope you're watching, Grand Poopa. That was awesome. Okay, so verse 15, then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua. Here they are. What great names, right? Shifra and Pua. Let's all say it together. Shifra and Pua. Wonderful. Okay, when you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him right? That's what the Pharaoh just told them to do. If it's a girl, let her live. Kill the baby boys. So the Israelites, we know, are immigrants to Egypt, right? God's people, because they're in Egypt, have no political freedoms at all. They have no political power at all. Because of the rising Israelite population, they were perceived as a threat to Pharaoh, and as part of that discrimination, it prompted him to say this evil thing, kill all the baby boys. In the ancient world, women normally gave birth in a crouching position. 
Small stools or stones or bricks could be used to support the mother's weight as she gave birth. And midwives did not just aid in the birthing process, but they were advisors through the whole process of pregnancy, birth, and childcare. I think it's interesting that these midwives are having a conversation with the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. Isn't that interesting that they're right in front of him? First of all, they're women. Secondly, they're actually standing in front of the king having this conversation. So I was wondering about that. Um, The history books that I looked at said that they may have been overseers of Pharaoh's harem, uh, which was considered a position of honor. They would have been trained professionals. Um, So that was also considered a position of honor. Egyptian royal harems had women from many different backgrounds with many different customs. Pharaoh married girls from all over because it kept the peace with those different countries. And so with them came all of their customs. The Egyptian birthing process differed from the Hebrew birthing process greatly. In ancient Egypt, where child mortality was really high, Egyptians called upon the help of their gods, little g gods, through magical objects and special ritual practices during childbirth. Because of the association the Egyptians made between the supernatural and the process of birthing, it makes sense that the midwives were a really respected class of people. So that's why they're having a conversation face-to-face with the Pharaoh. Um, Now, their names, Shifra means beauty, and Pua means splendor. Those words are Hebrew, or they're Semitic. So it was believed that they were not Egyptian midwives, they were Hebrew midwives that served Egyptian women and Hebrew women. Um, More than likely, they were unable to have children of their own. And this was their contribution to society to help oversee the birth of Hebrew and Egyptian babies. I'm thinking about the parents. Can you even imagine? Because ultrasound obviously wasn't a thing. So you find out you're pregnant. Instead of being excited, you live in nine months of dread because on birthing day, if they say it's a boy, it's a death sentence. So I can't imagine the feelings of parents during that time either. Verse 17, but because the midwives feared God, don't you love it in scripture when the word but starts the sentence because it means everything's about to change. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Verse 17, but because the midwives feared God, They refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt, remember Pharaoh called the midwives back. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and they have their babies so quickly we can't even get there in time. Because Shifra and Pua were midwives to both Hebrew and Egyptian mothers, they were able to make this comparison. They said, those girls give birth before we can even get there to say push. It is amazing and remarkable how they give birth. Now, some argue in this story that maybe these girls lied. I think these women would put into a position where they were either going to be a liar or a murderer. And so they were discerning enough to choose wisely. Plus, we may not have their entire statement recorded, but what we have is factual. They said these women are vigorous. Even if they do not give complete testimony in Pharaoh's court, this is a good example of we must obey God rather than man. Reminds me of Matthew 10, 16, which says, Look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Be as shrewd as snakes 
and harmless as doves. Also, their explanation is probably accepted because of our universal human tendency to dehumanize victims, especially women, as a prelude to depriving them of their basic civil rights, like the privilege of having children or even their very own lives. Now, I have to believe with the vast number of Israelites being born, 600,000 men plus women and children, there had to have been more midwives than Shifra and Pua, right? Good night. Those girls would have been really, really busy. So there had to have been more. So here's my question. Did they together, did they, was there like this wild, wide scale organization? And they all said, we're not killing the boys. Like were Shifra and Pua the midwife union leaders? I don't know, you know, but they, somehow they organized because all these baby boys are living, and I think it's impressive that they were able to save so many babies and keep it a secret from Pharaoh. God's righteous people have always chosen and will always choose to conceive and deliver and protect life above all else. This is because righteous people understand the value of life and its importance in God's eternal plan. They also know that each life, male and female, is sacred to God and that to bring life is one of the most noble and sacred callings God can give on this earth. Without their courage, without their sacrifice, there would be no hope for a future and no purpose for our present. Many historians also believe that Shifra and Pua were the midwives who helped at the delivery of Moses. They helped deliver Moses. And this makes sense because if you read through the scripture, no other girls' names are mentioned anywhere. And if Moses is the author of this, it makes sense that he would mention their names give them a shout out. Thanks for letting me live, right? Okay. Uh, These girls were honored with their name recorded in scripture because of their courage. They stood up to Pharaoh, defied his decree, and honored the almighty God by safely delivering the Jewish girls and the Jewish boys. Verse 20. So God was good to the midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful, And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. When we put God above man and do what is right, regardless of the consequences, he blesses us and helps us work miracles. These women were given the desires of their hearts. They got to have a family of their own. They were also given the freedom to raise their families and not to be just midwives anymore. They feared God and protected life. And that mattered to God. Verse 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. Because his first plan didn't work, Pharaoh comes up with a second plan. Throw the baby boys into the river. Now everyone lived near the Nile River. And honestly, cleanup would have been easy. Sewage was dumped there, there was a strong current, and so it would have taken away all the waste, including the babies. Also, the Nile River was viewed as a little g god by the Egyptians. So this would shift the blame from the Pharaoh, from the king of Egypt, to the Nile River. The Nile River took those baby boys. I didn't order that. That interesting? Big chicken wing, right? If Pharaoh had been successful with this plan, theologian Greenberg remarks this, Israel would have been gradually reduced entirely to females. Insurrection would have become impossible. 
the people would have been dissolved, leaving to Egypt to their women power and reproductive capacity. This time, the malicious attempt at genocide is frustrated by the midwives. The fear of God is a deterrent sufficient to put restriction on unquestioned obedience to the dictates of a superior, and God saved his people. These women, Shifra and Pua, seemingly in a subservient position to a subservient people, enter into a high-stakes power play with the king of a ruling nation. This sets the stage for defiance of Pharaoh by the entire nation of Israel. Jonathan Maganay describes their actions as the earliest and in some ways the most powerful example of resistance to an evil regime. Now these girls were described as Ezer women. That's a Hebrew term, I'd never heard it before. And it describes somebody who is set apart for a greater purpose, a helper, a servant of God, but also a servant of Jesus. Ezer means an ally or a rescuer, someone who comes running when people cry out for help. And Ezer drops everything to save those in need. And Ezer is a hero. So I was thinking about that because I think each of us are kind of called in some way, different from each other, but in some way to be a rescuer. That God has intended us to be a hero in somebody else's life. God knows the world needs it. If we're going to be in servitude to anyone, it should be our creator, right? Dropping everything and doing his will to move his message forward. Sometimes easier women and easier men are called to stand against a powerful evil or to aid those who are weaker or both of those things. In the last month, we've talked a lot about freedom. Um, July 19th, many of us came together and watched a film called Juneteenth, Faith and Freedom. And after that film, we had a really powerful prayer time that, that God brought revival, but especially these thoughts of justice to our hearts and minds. Then on June 25th, Pastor Callie prayed this incredible prayer for Freedom Sunday, talking about um, raising awareness for human trafficking. Um, I looked up some statistics. Did you know right now in 2023, there are 30 million slaves in the world to human trafficking? It is the second largest organized crime in the world. I did not know that. Freedom is really important to God. Justice is really important to God. And then on July 2nd, Pastor Brian explained the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and how he brings freedom from the pull of sin on our lives. And today, because Shifra and Pua's courage and respect of God, freedom and life came to the Israelite children as well as to their individual homes. Freedom. Despite the existence of injustice in the world, we believe that God remains a God of justice, standing on the side of the oppressed. Un momento. (laughs) That's fantastic. God's people should also aim to glorify him by imitating his character, right? It matters. If it matters to God, it should matter to us. If it breaks his heart, it should break mine. I will tell you, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I'm, um, this isn't in my notes. Sometimes (laughs) I'm busy about doing the things of God and I'm missing his heart. I don't know if you ever feel that way. 
But if we pray that God would give us this easier heart, this heart of justice, this heart of love, I think it would change, man. It would change us. It would change our church, which means it would change our families and our community. What if it mattered to me that life was fair for my neighbor? What if that mattered enough that I would go out and mow their grass or enough that I would make sure they had groceries? What if it mattered to me that my friends on the south side had opportunities like I have? It would change the world, wouldn't it? If we all grabbed hold of that. What if it mattered that a film like Juneteenth should change me? It should change me. And if it doesn't, then I'm kind of going about the motions and I'm forgetting that I could have an easier heart. Does it matter that you don't see people sitting next to you in church that used to sit here? Does that matter? Really should, right? And so when we see them out in public, <laughs> in our neighborhoods, at our jobs, we don't say, where you been? Church still happening. We're there every Sunday, right? We say, how are you? I miss you. How are you in Jesus? You found another church. Fantastic. Because who we are, we're kingdom people. We're kingdom people. Okay, I'll go back here. All right, so I like this equation. We got shifra, who means beauty. We've got pua, which means splendor. We have ezer, which equals calling, this calling on my life. And look at this equation. Beauty plus splendor plus calling equals purpose. Aren't you desperate for purpose in your life? Don't you want to matter that you were here? Don't you want somebody to miss you when you're gone? <laughs> Don't you want some, something somehow to make a difference in the kingdom of God? Because you were breathing. Somebody came to know Jesus because of you. Somebody grew closer to him because of you. I think we all long for that purpose. So much so that we talk a lot about purpose at PFN. Pastor Callie talked about it at the beginning. It's even on our website. It looks like this. If you go to our website, that's just me. Okay, known. So known valued purpose. We say that these are important to us. Known. I can, I can come to know Jesus and be known by him. I can know others and they can know me. Look around. Just look around in the room here. Do you know anybody else here? I hope you do. If you don't, after church, go up to somebody and say, my name is Cheryl, and I'm really glad you're here today. I got to meet some new friends this morning. I love that. That's one of my favorite things. Known. You can put that back up. Thanks. Valued. I can learn to value people who are different than me and be valued by them as well. So I am currently 54 years old. I just had my birthday last week. Thank you for singing happy birthday to me. I'm a 54-year-old middle-class white woman. That's what I know. That's my experience. There is a lot of people outside of that same experience, a lot of different people that I can get to know them and know their story and find out their experiences and learn things from them. So it's really important that I value that and that I accept their, them valuing me back. That feels pretty good, doesn't it, when somebody values you back? And then purposed. I can discover purpose in my life by being obedient to Jesus every day 
and help others to do the same. That's how I find purpose. That's how I become an easier person. I can't just drum up enough energy on my own or enough creativity on my own. It has got to be through Jesus. It's got to be through the power that he puts in me and the purpose that he puts in me. So what if we decided today that that's who we're going to be? We're going to be easier people. That we would be set apart for a greater purpose. That we would be a helper. We would be a servant of God, but also a servant of justice. You know, um, reading through this, studying this, I hope, I hope I would have been courageous. As courageous as Shifra and Pua. I hope that I would have recognized that God's laws were more important than the Pharaoh's laws. I think sometimes people in our workplaces today find themselves facing an order from a boss that they cannot ethically carry out. Knowing God's will and doing it in such a circumstance may even cost them their job. And those kind of conflicts happen outside the workplace as well. But just as God honored the Hebrew midwives, God honors those today who stand up and fight for what is right. But we each get to choose for ourselves. You know what else I'm glad about? I'm glad that Shifra had Pua and Pua had Shifra. Because I think they gained energy and they gained respect and they gained courage from each other. I know I do. When I watch one of you, somebody I love and respect, do the right thing, it makes me have courage that maybe I could do that too. And I think that's what they did for each other. But I still have to decide if I'm going to live my life set apart for a greater purpose. I have to decide, am I going to be a helper? Am I going to be a helper at home or at work or in my circle of influence? Am I going to be a servant of God and a servant of justice? And you have to decide that too. Um, I heard a speaker, I was, I was watching the NYC services, and the speaker yesterday said, baptize my imagination, Lord. I never heard that phrase before. When I think about this idea of being an easier person, um, you know, if we were in school and somebody was bullying somebody else, that's like a, it's like a quick reaction, right? We don't do that. We're not going to do that. And you offer protection to that person. You know, bullying happens at work. Not at my work so much, but <laughs> at like real people's jobs, sometimes that can happen. And so paying attention to that, um, sometimes it can happen in people's homes, in neighborhoods. So how, how can I be an easier person? How can I pay um, such attention to that? I was thinking about, too, I have a friend that, that is struggling right now, and I think about her and I pray for her, but what if I sent her a note saying, I'm thinking about you and praying for you, and I'm with you. Like, I, I want to help you. I'm available to help you. How could I help you? What would that look like? Um, um, months ago, Pastor Brian spoke about uh, having margin financially. And he used a scripture that talked about contentment. I never once thought about that. That if I can be content and say, I have enough, that makes me so much more generous in my life. Because if I have enough, then what I have left over can be yours. I don't need all of that. I have enough. So I, I can be fiscally responsible, but I can also be financially generous. Um, I spend a lot of time on the South Side with friends, and they're incredible people. And you know what they don't have sometimes? They don't have enough. And I do. Can I be an easier person by serving justice in that way? 
so many of you are such incredibly generous people. <laughs> I watch what you do over and over again. A friend of mine gave a new bed to our youth pastor. She was called and said, you want this bed? I, who does that? I know of a, another person who somebody needed a car and they bought them a car. Doesn't that sound like heaven? Like, could I have enough money at some point, Lord, and be generous enough that if somebody needed a car, and I'd, I'd just be like, here's a car. That would be incredible to me. But am I paying attention to things like that, that I could be a servant of God and a servant of justice at the same time? And can God baptize my imagination to give me ideas that I can pay attention as I'm watching? I can pay attention to become this easier person that I have such a desire to be. Will I ever be in a position to save hundreds of thousands of lives? Probably not. But they were. And those girls took advantage of that. And they did a little, what some people would describe a little thing, they saved the boys, they saved the boys, they saved the boys. And God saw that and he said, that is exactly what I need for, needed for you to do. Thank you for saying yes to me. Thank you for being so courageous and now I'm going to give you the desires of your heart. I'm going to bless you in this way and give you your own family. Incredible. And the freedom that that brought for them. So we're going to pray. I don't know, I don't know what you need to do. <laughs> I know what I need to do. I know what the Lord's been speaking to me this last week. Because I got to pay attention more. I gotta have more courage. I gotta ask him, what's the right decision here? I gotta pay attention that it matters to him if justice is happening in my space. So I don't know what you need to pray about, but if you wanna be an easier person today, if you wanna be like Shifra, if you wanna be like Pua, it's gonna take some courage. It's gonna take you doing something that maybe doesn't come so naturally Maybe you need to be an upstander instead of a bystander. Sometimes I feel like life kind of just passes me by. And sometimes I need to stand up in that and say, no more. We're not going to do that here. So would God give us courage to be those kind of people? Because I think those kind of people could change Pekin. I think they could change East Peoria and Washington and the south side of Peoria and all of central Illinois. And then what happens from that as it trickles out? Can you imagine with these kids coming home from NYC, some of those kids have been radically changed this week and what their school's gonna look like now? Let's, let's come right alongside of them and be changed with them <laughs> through the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? So Lord, thank you for Exodus. Thank you for this story about these two incredibly brave women who did something great and they, they saved the lives. I'm, I, literally, I don't know if you would have been born, Lord, because they saved Moses' life. And when you look in your genealogy, that, that, that's like all the dominoes falling. So I thank you that they were so brave, that they took such courage, that they respected you so much and they loved you so much that they would say... Um, we are going to fear God rather than Pharaoh and we're going to do the right thing here. And so this week, Lord, I think even this week, 
many of us are going to be in a position where we got to decide, am I, am I willing to have um, enough trust in the Holy Spirit and enough courage to do the right thing? And then will we be obedient and do the right thing? So would you call out in us, would you draw up in us for us to be easier people, your people, set apart for your purposes, to be helpers, to be encouragers, and to be lovers of you and lovers of justice. And so, Lord, the things that maybe haven't mattered enough in my heart and mind, man, would you light a fire there, God? I think about these students that are coming back to us from NYC. So many of them have taught me so much about justice about that being important in life and to pay attention to other people, to make sure that other people have what they need and to help where I can, Lord. And so I thank you for my friends and I pray that you would bring us right alongside them, that, that we want to be an easier people church. <laughs> that we wouldn't be necessarily known for any kind of event or facilities or even multiple locations, but we would be known because we are such people of God that we take action with great purpose because the Holy Spirit has empowered us to do so. Boy, we thank you, Lord. There's no way, no way in the world we could do it without you. And so we thank you, God, for how you're calling us even now, how you're calling us to be easier people, just like Shifra and Pua. Thank you, Lord, for this story. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for calling us out in the areas that you need to, Lord. We love you. We trust you. We're grateful that you are who you say you are. In Jesus' name, amen.